0: Thank you for being here tonight. We are glad for your presence. 1 Corinthians 14, we'll look at this verse just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But when we ask what did early churches do in their assembly together, one of the things that was very vital to their assemblies was prayer. And you see that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it is clearly, and we're not going to read those verses, uh, but please, if you have a question about this, write those down and check them out. For all of these verses, in one way or another, imply an assembly. A gathering together for worship but one of the things they did when they came together for worship is they pray particularly in verse 15 the Bible says I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also in this passage He's talking about the proper use of their gift of tongues in the assembly and praying with the spirit in mind and singing with the spirit in mind is something about speaking in a language that all could know and all could understand. Now, when he talks of prayer in verse Fifteen. I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. He uses the term bless in verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless in spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen? So the term bless is used. In verse 17... For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. So terms like bless, terms like give thanks, are used interchangeably with the term prayer. And one of the things early Christians did when they gathered together is they they prayed, they blessed God, they honored God and gave thanks to God This was a vital part in their gathering together. It is a vital part of our individual spiritual lives. The Bible tells us to to be persistent in prayer in Romans 12. And 1 Thessalonians 2.15, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the famous passage, pray without ceasing. Prayer is a vital part of our spiritual lives. To adapt a song that we sometimes sing, before you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? Did you think? To pray. But tonight we focus not just on private prayers, though it's going to be difficult at some points to distinguish the private from the public prayer. But, but tonight we want to focus mainly on public prayer. But there is no better way to prepare for leading in public prayer than being fervent in private prayer. There are passages like 1 Timothy 2 that may indeed deal with public prayer besides 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 14. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For all kings and for all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. But tonight, we want to look at this subject of prayer in the early church. Some things in the book of Acts. Acts is filled with prayers, uh, but let's first take a step back. Let's take a step back to the personal ministry of Jesus. And I am struck by how frequently Jesus is pictured in prayer. The first verse that I'm going to use is from the Gospel of Mark. All the other verses will be from the Gospel of Luke. In Mark 1 verse 35, in a passage that is recorded in Luke, but interestingly, with all the times Luke mentions prayer, he doesn't mention it here. But, but in Luke or Mark 1 and verse 35, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying. He gets up while it is still dark to pray. Praying to God was a priority to Christ. Now most of these deal with the subject of private prayer. But what I am stressing is that as Jesus in private prayer was so diligent, and salt the Father's face in prayer. This is a lesson for us about the importance of prayer in our relationship with God. We're just going to read these verses. We're going to say little about them in most cases, but I do invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke and look at these particular scriptures in Luke 3 verse 21, the Bible says when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. But while Jesus... Jesus is baptized and Jesus is praying. Maybe this picture of Jesus as coming from the waters of baptism with a prayer. Truly a picture of how he is going to live much of his life. Look at Luke 5 in verses 15 and 16. Right after recording Jesus cleansing a leper, the Bible says in verse 15, the news about him was spreading even further and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus would slip away to the wilderness to pray. It is a blessing to have an opportunity to speak God's message and God's word. That is a blessing that none of us today deserve. Jesus, who was God come in the flesh, the crowds were gathering to hear him. And how does Jesus respond to that? He would often slip away and pray. We cannot be speaking for God if we are not speaking to God. The crowds were gathered to hear him breathe and often he felt the necessity to get away from the crowds to pray. In Luke 6 in verse 12 Jesus was about to choose the Apostles I take it that that is the point of the Apostles mentioned right afterwards in verses 13 through 16 but notice in verse 12 it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God before He chooses the apostles. Jesus spends this time alone and uninterrupted with the Father the whole night in prayer. A couple of passages we've had reason to mention on Sunday mornings recently. In Luke 9 verse 18, it happened while he was praying alone. The disciples were with him. And he questioned them saying, who do people say that I am? When he's about to ask them, who do you say that I am? And they answer, the Christ of God. Jesus is preparing for that moment with prayer. In verse 28, some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. We stated that word for transfiguration, which is actually not even used in Luke, The Bible just says here, the appearance of his face became different. But but notice, it was while he was praying, he was transfigured. Could that be an indication that as God transfigures us and transforms us into the image of his son in Romans 12.2 and 2 Corinthians 3.18, that that will be done largely through prayer. In Luke 11, verse 1, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. I'm not surprised at this question. But I want you to think about the questions that we don't have a record of the disciples asking. Jesus was the greatest preacher and teacher that ever lived. And I am thankful today. There are all kinds of situations for younger men who won't preach where they are given some kind of training, some kind of, uh, of things to prepare them for that work. I'm glad that there are that opportunities. But they don't ask, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to teach or teach us to preach. But they say, teach us to pray. Now, I'm going to say something here that I don't know if it's 100% true. But my guess is, most preachers would agree with what I'm about to say. For most people that preach and teach, it is easier to preach and to teach than it is to pray for a family. Can I say that for everyone? No can i say that for many and for myself often yes And so what we're doing these are not instructions for public prayer but these are telling us of how vital prayer is to us how vital prayer was to jesus how vital it was to the disciples And also, in one more occasion that we will mention, as Luke mentions Gethsemane in Luke 22, we see that when Jesus arrived, he told his disciples pray that you may not enter temptation and he prays in verse 20 verse 42 of Luke 22 Father if you are willing remove this cup from me yet not as my not my will but yours be done now an angel from heaven appeared to him strengthening him Jesus was strengthened for this task By an angel of God, but he was strengthened in answer to prayer. Is it unreasonable that God strengthens us in response to prayer, even if there's not the direct appearance of an angel? So we see that prayer is very important to Jesus and that doesn't even touch upon the prayer that Ryan mentioned in John 17 which is Jesus and the New Testament's longest uninterrupted prayer. But one definition of the church that you can give is the church is a group of people who imitated Jesus' practice of prayer. Now, we're going to be looking at Acts. Luke wrote, we believe, because he mentions Theophilus in Luke 1.3, he mentions him in Acts 1.1 because they're both addressed to the same person and there are a couple of other indicators and we think that it was written by the same one and the book of Luke shows the importance of prayer in the life of of Christ. And the book of Acts will show the importance of prayer in the early church. We're not going to deal with every instance of prayer in the early church, and that would take considerable time. I do want to mention several passages at the beginning of the book before and then center center on two of them. But but just look at how fervent in prayer these early Christians were in Acts one verses 13 and 14 when they entered the city they went into the upper room where they were staying that is Peter and John and James and Andrew and he mentions the 12 apostles or he mentions the apostles minus Judas this is the last mention they are mentioned in Matthew, Mark and Luke and now they're mentioned in Acts 1.13 they won't be mentioned again But the Bible tells us there were others that were with them. In verse 15, there are about 120 with them in all. But I want you to notice what verse 14 says. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. With one mind they were devoting themselves to prayer. The day of Pentecost is going to happen. It is going to take place where the disciples have been praying, preparing for this moment by fervent prayer. They are praying together. The Lord has been raised. They are meeting together. They are praying together. And when they choose someone to take the place of Judas, they make that choice via prayer. In Acts 1 verse 24 and 25, they prayed and said, You Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry, an apostleship for which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. But they're going to choose another apostle or God, Jesus actually is going to choose another apostle. Just as he chose the original 12 in verse 2, he's going to choose the successor and they're going to draw straws but, but don't take this is God's decision not theirs. And they pray. Lord. You know their heart. Show who you have, whom you have chosen. And Matthias is chosen. Do not miss. In the book of Acts. How frequently people are chosen for leadership. Or when they are chosen to leadership. They are installed via prayer. That's our theme right now. Look at these verses. Acts 6 and verse 6. This is when the seven are chosen to take care of the widows. Because Peter said we're going to devote ourselves to prayer. And to the ministry of the word in verse 4. But but after they had chosen these seven, in Acts 6, verse 6, these were brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. They laid their hands. So they select these seven. They pray. They lay their hands on them. As they begin this particular work. It could be for the work of caring for widows. It could be for the work of preaching the gospel. If you look at Acts 13 verses 1 through 3. There was a very talented church at Antioch. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit said, verse 2, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And in verse 3, when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Just as Pentecost takes place, Against the background of prayer. The missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas take place against the background of prayer. They understood their weakness. They understood uh, their need of God's help. And they cast themselves upon him. In Acts 14 verse 23. When the Bible talks about these churches that were established during the first missionary journey, it said when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Elders were appointed with prayer and fasting. Now, I put Luke 6.12 on the screen. Because in that passage, Jesus had prayed all night before he chose the apostles. As he prayed all night before he chose the apostles, you see the importance when you chose people for positions of leadership where they were beginning the work of leadership. They needed God's help. We cannot do the work of God in our own strength. It is only going to be he who holds us up. And then after 3,000 became Christians on the day of Pentecost, the Bible tells us that they were continually devoting themselves in Acts 2.42 to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Just as those disciples in 114 were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Now these people uh, who have uh, repented and been baptized, who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they are continually devoting themselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 3 verse 1 Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer. They were still going to the temple, praying at Jewish times a prayer. One more example that I'll mention before we'll look at two in a little bit more detail and this is in Acts 10 verses uh, 3 and 4 Cornelius is told your prayers have come up as a memorial before God he was told in verse 31 that his prayer was heard Cornelius was praying God heard his prayer. God sent for Peter. Peter had that vision, you remember, of the great sheep he let down. And of all the animals on it. And he was set, told, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean is ever entered by mouth. And he said, What I have cleansed, do not call common or unclean. That vision came in the context of Peter going up on the rooftop to pray. This is my point. Cornelius, who needed more instruction, was praying. Peter, who is going to be sent to teach him, is Brian. At this moment, neither of them know the other. They don't know the other. They're not mentioning each other in prayer. But a God who hears prayer knows that Cornelius needs more instruction. And God who knows that Peter is able and willing to go knows that Peter needs to go teach this man. And he brings him to heaven. We may not know who we're praying for when we pray the Lord to send us a soul. That we can teach and point in his way. We may not know who we're praying for. We may not be able to call a name. But those prayers can be powerful, they can be effective. First case I want to look at a little bit is Acts 4. This is the first opposition that the followers of Christ have experienced. The Sadducees are grieved that they are preaching the resurrection. They have been put into prison and they have been threatened not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. What do they do when they get out of prison? They go to their own company. They go to their group and they tell them what is happening. They tell them for the purpose of approaching God together in prayer. In Acts 4 verse 23, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God. With one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them." Now, as they begin this prayer, they speak of the fact that the God to whom they are praying is sovereign over everything. He rules everything. Everything he made heaven, he made earth, he made the sea. On the slide, you see passages like Second Kings nineteen, Second Kings and nineteen, and Isaiah thirty-seven are the same passage, the, the parallel passages. One recorded, of course, by Isaiah, but the point. <laughs> When Isaiah faced a threat from the king of Assyria who was the most powerful human being on earth at the time and when he threatens that the people will be brought into slavery and destroyed what does? how does Hezekiah begin his prayer? By speaking of God's work in creation. When Jeremiah is asked in Jeremiah 32 to do a sign act of something that seems difficult to believe. He said in Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord, you made the heaven and earth. I know nothing is impossible with you. And then goes on to say, but, but he acknowledges because God is creator. There's nothing Impossible with God. Why do we believe in prayer? Because we believe in the God who hears and answers prayer. The God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. Do you not know what to say in prayer? If you have trouble figuring out what to say in prayer, it is striking to me how often in biblical prayers they quote the words of God. In Genesis 32, Jacob quotes God's earlier promises to him. In Nehemiah, Nehemiah quotes words that Moses spoke many years before. We can make more illustrations than this right here the disciples in their prayer together are quoting from Psalm 2 verses 1 and 2 why do the Gentiles rage why do the peoples imagine a vain thing the kings of the earth take their stand one way to pray if you are struggling with the subject is to pray with an open Bible and open eyes and be looking at God's words in scripture particularly some of the prayers in Scripture. I want to tell you a passage I do that with a lot. Is 1 Chronicles 29. Particularly around verse 10 beginning. Take those words and make them your own. But they pray the words of God. Now, we could go on more about that and probably say more about that in context and we should but they don't ask the Lord in this case, I'm not saying this is always wrong, but they don't ask the Lord to take away the threats, but the Lord, they do ask the Lord for the courage and the strength to meet the threat. In verse 29, and now Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak the word with all confidence. They're saying, Lord, you're the one who made heaven and earth. You're the one who controls everything. You're the one who foresaw these kind of circumstances in your word and in your scripture. And Jesus experienced these same kind of circumstances. We pray, Lord, that you see their threats. And may we continue to speak with confidence now look at verse 29 and look at verse 31 I want to ask you something I am reading the New American Standard and the New American Standard in verse 29 they ask grant your bondservants that they may speak your word with confidence in verse 31 it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the words with boldness of verse 31 I'm asking you look at your translations how many of your translations translate that kind of like the New American Standard and you have a different word in verse 29 from the word in verse 31? Is that true in a lot of your translations? Or well, I'm the only one here that translates it a different word? Okay. I'm glad. Because it is the same greek word in both cases in verse 29 and verse 31 they say grant your servants that we may speak with confidence or boldness and the bible tells us that they are filled with the holy spirit and began to speak the word with Boldness or confidence. The same word is used in verse 31 to talk about the Lord's answer to prayer as is used in verse 29 to talk about their request for prayer. And that is a statement that their prayer was answered. We face circumstances today in spite of the fact that there are more obstacles to the gospel in this country than there have ever been. We face circumstances that those Christians in Acts 4 would have coveted. To others about this Jesus that they were persecuted so severely for preaching. One more case, Acts 12. In Acts 12 we are introduced to another Herod. He is the grandson of the Herod the Great who killed the babies in the time of Christ. He is the nephew of Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist killed. He would be called Herod Agrippa I by history. And this Herod executed James, the brother of John. Outside of Judas, the only apostle whose death is recorded is James in Acts 12 and verse 2. Only death that's recorded in Scripture. So political power has turned drastically against the church. Maybe it was never in favor of it, but it's turned drastically against it. But not only that, but notice in verse 3, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. It pleased the Jews to execute James. Now, before, remember they were taking the apostles and arresting them in Acts 5, 26. And they did it quietly or they did it in a very orderly manner because they were afraid that they were going to be killed by the people, stoned by the people. The apostles had... Had favor from the public originally, but now both political power and public opinion are against them. And they have Peter in prison and they're waiting to kill him. Public opinion's against you, political power is against you. What can you do? In verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Prayer for him was being made fervently. In verse 12, the early disciples had gathered at the house of Mary, the mother of John called Mark, They had gathered together and were praying. You have political power and personal and and, and public opinion on one side. And all you have on the other side is prayer. And the God to whom they pray. And the night before Peter was to be executed. The angel of the Lord appears to him. And starts And the chains fall off of his hand. The door opens up. He walks out, even though he's in a maximum security prison. He walks out. It's a while before he realizes that this is real. That this is not just a vision that he's having. He goes to the house of Christians. He knocks on the door. He's trying to get in. They said, Rhoda comes back and says, uh, it, it's Peter at the door. And they said, no, it's not Peter. It's, it's his spirit or something. It's, it's not Peter's in prison. That's what we're about. Peter has less trouble getting out of a maximum security prison than he does getting into this locked house of Christians. Do you have trouble believing that prayer does good? That you have trouble believing that God can deliver his people and judge his enemy in response? can remember in a conversation a person came to me and talking about talking to someone else and said I I talked to them and I poured out my problem and all they could tell me is just keep reading the word and thinking upon the word and and praying Because I don't know about that much more to offer. But friend, in light of this passage, what's more powerful? What's more powerful than that? I know that we pray and sometimes our prayers always aren't, aren't always answered the way we would like James the brother of John was executed I imagine they were praying for him but in response to their prayers he delivered Peter do you struggle with overcoming sins in your life Do I always mean the cure will be instantaneous? No. But when you doubt the power of prayer and the power of God in response to prayer to change things, look at this passage. Look at this passage. May God help us to put our confidence In him. Let us pray. O Lord our God, it is you who created the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. You are God of everything. There is no problem that we have, no crisis that we face that is too big for you. None. Lord, we do believe that. Forgive us and help our unbelief. For those who struggle with great difficulties. For those who face times of crisis right now. Lord, it may be totally unknown to the rest of us here. But Lord, you know who they are and what they face. And we pray, Lord, that you bless them in their struggle. To put away sin, to draw nearer to you, to walk closer to you, to win, to speak of someone to someone else about you, whatever the trial may be. May you help us in what is good and what is holy and what is right. Lord, we are weak and you are strong. We lean totally on you and we know we have come to the point of being saved by your mercy, by your grace. And we pray, oh God, that you lead us home and that you help us to bring as many, to encourage as many, to take the journey with us as we can. In Jesus' name, amen.